Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. We then had to look to other countries to live, to be able to pursue our life together at that point. So we, we moved to the UK and spent some time there as well. And uh, later on moving to Scotland for a couple of years. And that was really the pivotal moment for us where the chocolate uh, shop dream became a little bit more reality lots more planning, um, you know, you're in the middle of the Scottish Highlands, other than going for long walks, there's nothing else to do really than to plan a business. This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. I am so excited to have my guest here today, Natalie of Russo Chocolatier. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much, Wendy. Thanks for having me. Oh, excellent. Now, uh, I love your stuff. So you have you let, let's go back to your story though. So sure. you and your husband uh started a how did you meet first off? And then how did you end up in Halifax and how did you end up with a chocolate shop? A <laughs> uh, bit of a journey there. Yeah. So we met back in 2008 in um, a little town called Wakefield, Quebec. And that's uh, about half an hour north of Ottawa, where I'm from. And um, Jillian was here on a work visa working in, in a beautiful little hotel up there. And he was doing all the pastries and desserts and things like that. And we had met, um, true, to, true to myself, in a bar. <laughs> and uh, it kind of kicked off from there. We became friends and then I started working with them. And um, as a waitress there, I had just come back from living out West in the Rockies for a while. And um, from there, we kind of just explored. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge traveler. I love to travel and so does he. So when his visa was up for Canada, we went to uh, France and lived there for a few years. And he's from of, France, right? He's from France. He's from the South France, right on the Mediterranean coast uh, near Cannes and Saint-Tropez. So gorgeous area. And you're here in Halifax. Okay, I'm gonna come back to that at some point. <laughs> No, that's where you come in. That's that's a retirement, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, and then when we've exhausted all of our visas for both of our countries, we then had to look to other countries to live, to be able to pursue our life together at that point. Um, so we, we moved to the UK and spent some time there as well. And uh, later on, moving to Scotland for a couple of years. And that was really the pivotal moment for us where the chocolate uh, shop dream became a little bit more reality, lots more planning. Um, you know, you're in the middle of the Scottish Highlands, other than going for long walks, there's nothing else to do really than to plan a business. So uh, that's what we did. And he, um, he and I just kind of had it all down to a T. The moment we arrived in Halifax back in 2014, I already had uh, lined up uh, meetings to go visit com commercial spaces. So I was very, uh, you know, we were, we were working with very little limited budget. So I wanted everything to kind of, 
fit right away so that we could get started as soon as possible. And it kind of really magically all happened that way. So it was, it was fun. Now, uh, a lot of people know that I do work with my husband, but what's it like to have that dynamic? Are you guys able to turn it off when you go home or is it all, all work all the time? Um, so I think that now that we have kids, our attention probably goes to them a lot more at home, but I would say that, um, for, for years, many, many years before even opening up the shop, we, we worked together, mm -hmm. we would actually purposefully source out, you know, businesses and chocolate shops and other things to work together. So it's, it, it didn't just happen overnight. I think it was, a uh, it was gradual and uh, yeah, a lot of people look at us and think, oh my gosh, how come you haven't killed each other yet? So but it's I've never heard that one either, Natalie. Yeah. <laughs> um, it it is a fine. It's a it's a learning process, I think. Um, mm. Respect involved, uh, you know, respecting each other's, um, you know, uh, capabilities and and experiences, and allowing the other person to make good judgments when you can't when you have less experience in that field. And it's just a, a nice kind of balance, I think. And if you don't tread on his territory and he doesn't tread too much on yours and you know it's kind of okay um, yeah so you each kind of have your lane that you're you're playing in uh different responsibilities that you're focused on and then you would come together to work on the business from time to time i'm assuming absolutely yeah. okay cool yeah. so he is the uh person who makes the chocolate correct so what's his background how did he get into chocolate so the way he describes it is he's very, very non-academic. He never did well in school. Um, and in France, they have this cool thing where uh, at the age of like 15 years old, you can decide whether or not you want to go the academic route or learning a trade. And he chose the trade. He chose pastry. Um, even though his father was a pastry chef, he clearly says it's not, it had nothing to do with that. He just thought it it sounded fun okay and um and so at 15 they go in and they study this trade and so at the age of 15 he was doing half schooling for his trade and half like working in pastry shops to get to that yeah so he started at 15 he did the extensive one so it's five years of studies and training in yep. all things pastry chocolate ice cream confections all of that and uh yeah so, natalie how have you avoided becoming 500 pounds <laughs> that's a good question i don't know i, I certainly didn't avoid it so. <laughs> I have to say, I, uh, I've had uh, your products and they are so yummy. They're very, very good. Um, uh, the macarons, tell me about those because I find those are pretty spectacular and I've never had them as good as I've had them at your shop. Thank you. We hear that so much. People that have actually like come off the plane from Paris and said, I tried all of them and they're not as good as yours. So it is very humbling, very heartwarming. Uh, the macarons are actually a recipe that uh, he um, developed uh, from one of his one of his previous employers, who was yeah. his age, a very young person in France that employed him. They actually became very good friends, and uh, he, his, it was a combination of his recipe and Julian's recipe, and it kind of made this like super macaron, you know, like the best. Best. Yes, it is. I concur. It's a hard one. <laughs> and so what's interesting, so he's kind of back of shop and you're front of shop. 
So um, yeah. tell me about your role in the businesses. So my role right now is to oversee daily operations. Yeah. Um, our team is, you know, performing well and also, you know, comfortable and happy and, you know, doing all the things that they should be doing front of house. Yeah. And um, with this last past year, my job is also in the back doing lots and lots of um, administrative work, lots of um, content creation mm. for the website, lots of fine tuning there, making sure our website's functioning as it should, you know, for 2020, uh, 2021. And, uh, cause our, did you, our to, did you have to add an e-commerce element? No, we already had ours luckily. Yep. Um, but it was dated since 2014. We had literally, you know, had a, set it and a, forget it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I had to do a lot of cleaning up. Um, but now it's, it's exactly the way I wanted it and I envisioned it and it's very user-friendly. It's, it's a perfect platform for us. Yeah. So you have, uh, you started out with a small shop and now you've moved into a bigger spot. That's more cafe, like that people can kind of hang out and enjoy your products and Definitely. But you also do wholesale and do, and you ship. How far do you ship? We ship across Canada and the U.S. At oh, the really? I did not know that. Yes. So people can go online. Um, they plug in the, the address and then our website just tells them all the options. So if they're local, delivery, pickup, shipping, if they're, you know, across the country, uh, all the different shipping uh, options, carriers, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. That's cool. So how did you decide to do wholesale? Cause I don't think <clears throat> I see so many small, smaller, like I want to call you a retailer, but it's not really a retailer, but you know what I mean? Is that yeah. a bakery type operation and they focus so much just on the, where they're actually located as opposed to going further afield. Um, mm. Is this something that you had as a strategy from the get-go Natalie and how's it gone? What have you, what have you done to build that up? So it's funny, Wendy, when I first, when we first opened, um, I did so many cold calls and I got so discouraged because nobody knew who we were. It was very, very disheartening. Um, I actually like, you know, probably in tears said to Julian, I don't want to do this anymore. So I just, Aww. I put it aside and I, I stopped calling and I just, we, I focused on what I was really good at was you know, the service in the store and uh, we did have the online platform. So at least, you know, we were out there and all of a sudden, little by little, we started getting calls and more calls and, and people wanting to stock our, our products. So whether it be hotels, you know, for their amenities, for their customers, um, what, you know, little, you know, gift shops across the province, they were all kind of trickling in and it became this thing that I never actually put any kind of real dollars into to get more uh, wholesale accounts. Mm -hmm. it, it's word of mouth. And all of a sudden, you know, the airport started stalking us. And then the girl that was ordering for the airport, she moved to Toronto. Now the Toronto airport was getting in from us. So it was very, it was grown very organically and um, which was great because it, it allowed me, cause I'm a one woman show. We don't have any you know, we, there's no one else working. There's no sales force. There's no sales force. <laughs> there's no admin. So I, it, it kind of worked for me because I was allowed, I was able to stay on top of it. And one of our goals uh, pre-pandemic was to really, really focus on growing that portion of the business. Um, it works well for us because it's not a traditional wholesale model, right? Because we make the product and we sell it. So it's not like we were a middleman trying to make, you know, our 50% uh, 
uh, ink, you know, up on the, 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 the mark, the price that we paid. Anyway, it's, we, the margins are typically a bit higher for us than it would be in a typical wholesale environment. So because you have no middleman. Exactly. So I feel like a lot of people, you know, when they're trying to be strategic, they say, you know, wholesale may not be the best option for profits, but in our case, I mean, it, you know, it, it is, has been really good. And for me, it's not just about getting the product out for wholesale and the price and all of that. It's, it, it goes beyond that for me. It, it in my brain, I think, well, if one day our products are seen in stores in Vancouver or, you know, I mean, that's just promotion for me. Like if we're making money, getting our products out there at a wholesale price, and not only that, we're getting our products in front of the eyes of different people, buyers, you know, customers. It, for me, that's, that's exactly the, the reason why we do it. You know, that's so cool. Um, with the, um, the, the pandemic hitting us last year, how did that affect you? Because I mean, you're in Nova Scotia, so you've had a couple of lockdowns. We're in the middle of one right now. How have you pivoted? What have you done to maintain business? Did you see a drop? What, you know, tell us, tell us about the last year. So our last year, uh, like many businesses, when the pandemic first hit in March, we, we laid off our entire staff just to kind of pause and regroup and mm. allow Julian and I to really think of our next strategy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we basically uh, operated all on our own because at that point, like everyone else, we had no idea what the future was in store. So yeah, you know, keeping all the staff on, staff wasn't comfortable working. It was, it was bit, it was, it was quite difficult actually. I was eight months pregnant, so that didn't help. And uh, <laughs> so we got through that pretty well because we are a business who, um, you know, our our main business is throughout the winter months and. Okay. So all of Christmas, Valentine's, Easter, Mother's Day, those are the four big ones for us that really impact our year. So operating with like basically zero staff from like March all the way to May last year really, really allowed us to hold on to some of that cash flow. Mm. And uh, although we were exhausted and we had no family life, it, it was a sacrifice yet again that we had to make to kind of think through the next steps. The summer was quiet um, and we still, you know, we continued to operate. We were allowed to operate. People were coming in for ice cream as per they normally do. Way less people, way less walking. Yeah. Um, But I mean, we had like, you know, 70% less staff too. So that really, it really mirrors, you know, the, what we were experiencing. And then we, so we climbed back up to eight staff, which is amazing. So Our winter was very, very successful. And we found ourselves with a terrible, uh, terribly great problem was that we not only were open to the public from our brick and brick and mortar, but this online store, you know, started having a life of its own. And we were selling like, you know, it was 70% online and 30% in store. And uh, it was incredible because uh, we were basically found ourselves with two separate stores to stock and to fill from. So it really boosted our sales for last year, which was very exciting. Um, And, you know, we uh, when this this latest lockdown happened, we knew that we couldn't operate the way we did in March 2020. Yeah. Um, So we we decided to uh, split our team into two work bubbles. 
And so that way we're limiting our, you know, you know, our, our frequency of seeing each other where we're not, I'm not seeing it, half of my staff. I haven't seen them in over two weeks. Um, so we're doing, you know, working together remotely. Uh, and then the team that works with us three days a week is um, <clears throat> my, my right hand, uh, my newest manager that we've hired. And Julian's also training someone new in pastry. So it's very exciting. That's exciting. Oh, wow. Do you find it hard? Does he find mm. it hard to train that? Because that's such a specific skill set. And how does he keep his recipe secret? <laughs> well, they're not secret. It's part of, no, I mean, there's probably some aspects of it that are a little bit locked down, like the macaron, but um, otherwise, it, for him, Julian comes from a culture of um, like knowledge sharing. So he, he learned from great chocolatiers back in France. And you're, when you're doing a trade like that, that's also very, very um, fickle and it could disappear over time. Mm. You really want that knowledge to be trans, transmitted. Um, so yeah, it, it, is, it is nice to see new young people uh, kind of gaining that knowledge. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, you spoke of being eight months pregnant at the start of COVID and you have two children now, which are, is awesome. How has that been for as a business owner and a new mom? I, I mean, I looked to the news recently and um, I don't know if you saw it or not, but the, the Knicks uh, founder said, if you have any issues with me being pregnant, you're off this list. And she kicked some Absolutely. people off the list. And so I feel I like- I was so proud of her for saying I know. that. I was so proud. She's, she's a game changer, right? right? And, and, and think, it takes a few yeah. leaders like that, Natalie, to, to do that. So what's your journey been like? And how have, have you found that anyone treats you differently as a result of, of having children versus not? Um, so- for me, I mean, I had my daughter in, in June 2020, and I was at work basically a week later with her strapped to my body, um, yeah. working away. And people would see that, and I would post, I'm very open, uh, I, my, my view of social media has kind of changed with the pandemic. I'm much more emotionally involved in the oh, okay. so I, I don't just hide behind the lens anymore. I get in front of the lens, and, and I was posting, you know, uh, things about me working with Maya with with me and um, people I mean people respond to emotion right so if people were uh, congratulating me for you know just doing everything business people have to do what they have to do right to get it done and nobody was there to hold our hands and nobody was there really to help us so we need to you know it's we need to figure this out so I think that for me um once I was able to kind of uh, make peace with the fact that I wasn't going to get a maternity leave ever because I didn't get one with my first one either. And I remember him hanging out at your shop. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, once I made my, my peace with that, I kind of embraced the fact that this is also um, just a testament to what you need to do to survive what you need to do to like examples that I'm showing my kids, the legacy that they're going to get when they look back and think, you know, their parents had to work hard to get what they need and build this business. So um, I see it more that I'm trying to, you know, transform it into a positive thing that uh, it's a positive example. And I wouldn't recommend, you know, sacrificing everything all the time, but when it's time to do the hard things, you have to do them. And and, uh, and it, there's no point in self-pity and crying too much over that kind of thing when you have no power over it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, with regards, if you were to look back, um, what do you think has been your biggest success along the way so far? 
Um, definitely moving to our new location has incredibly transformed our business from being a two-person uh, you know, operation, uh, my husband and I in our previous location to a, you know, eight, eight person staff uh, operation. So it, it allowed us to really um, have more visibility. Um, you know, at the time, 2018, 2019, there was loads of foot traffic. Uh, there are loads of cruise ship passengers there in the summertime. Um, very kind of, you know, central location, beautiful location across the street from Peace and Friendship Park. Um, so th those were just huge positives for us. And, um, and it really, uh, for me up until now, it's created our, our, our success that we have today. Um, when you think about your journey with employees, so many small business owners have this push pull, uh, I can't afford them, but I can't afford not to have them. So when you went to the new space, it almost was like, you didn't have a choice from the sounds of it. You had to, you had to start hiring and dealing with having staff. Yeah, and that was that was <laughs> that was a bit scary for us. We never had any staff. But also, from a leadership perspective, you know, you can't forget that you're going from managing yourself to then managing, you know, four or five other people. Uh, if you don't have, you know, leadership uh, within you, I guess uh, it is something you have to work on, and and you have to learn and kind of, you know, you know, really put some focus on that. Because if we don't, then you can kind of lose your way and. Your team won't be, you know, united and all of that. So that was that was a learning curve for me. Um, and, you know, like, I think that if you don't spend the money to get the team, then you're just struggling and your head's all underwater and you're trying to do all the things and wear all the hats. And it's just, you know, it leads to burnout and it leads to, you know, feelings of failure. And I think that for us, even though our first year in 2018, we were not profitable, <laughs> at all because we were just getting getting started in that location it took it took at least 12 months to to sort of see more of a return mm -hmm. um, on our investment there in in terms of staffing and uh but you know you you kind of have to just do what you um you don't go too big too fast that that's something that Julian and I have always um really really stood by when we first opened and also with this new location um we've seen lots of business people go, you know, too big, too fast, and they crash and burn. And I mean, sometimes the, the risk can really pay off. And then but other times, most of the time, I find they don't. And so starting out small and building and building and building, it's really, it's been the key to our success. That's for sure. And um, I, uh, I find that um, people are kind of all over the map in terms of sometimes people are number avoiders in terms of, uh, you know, managing their finances or looking at them, you know, if they have money in the bank, then everything must be okay. Um, <laughs> how has your journey been with numbers? Like, um, were you ever a number avoider or uh, have you always been someone who was like, show me the books? No, sadly, I am not good with, well, I was not good with money. I was not good with numbers. I was one of those people, hey, you know, we're in the positive in the bank. It must be, we must be doing okay, right? Yeah. And so for the first few years, that was definitely us. Julian was more involved in like figuring out, you know, costs and profits and all of that. Yeah. And, um, and then with the spending, I mean, if I go back in my own personal life, I, you know, I, 
I was never good with money. Never, never. And, uh, and Julian, when I met him all those years ago, really, uh, he had a, an amazing relationship with money a very, very um, dedicated and saving money. Uh, he's like the little squirrel, you know, that squirrels everything away. And so I, I didn't understand the concept at the time, but uh, I mean, he, he, uh, he definitely taught me how to manage my money much better. And the business, uh, with all the financial risks we were taking, it also like kicked into high gear my, my, um, uh, like my consciousness about spending uh, and not spending, right? So, yeah. um, and then when we met you, I mean, then it just becomes so much more clear. There's like mm. fine tuning that happens. You're much more, you know, knowledge is power. And, you know, the more you know about how your finances work, uh, the better you're going to manage it. And yeah, I think that it, it just kind of all kind of unraveled into like being more uh, self-aware of, of, you know, how money comes in, how money goes out and what you can and can't control. I love that. And it feels like um, you've become more deliberate with your money, right? Um, mm -hmm. In that, and I think that's a natural progression uh, for a sustainable business like yours, right? Like mm -hmm. it, it's not sustainable if you don't know what, how the foundation is built. Exactly. Yeah. If you were to look back at seven years ago, because you're, you're celebrating seven years of yes. business now to this week, aren't you? That's awesome. Yes. Um, that's amazing when we look at the statistics of how long, you know, that means you pass a number of hurdles that said if you're, you know, people who fail have done it in the first couple of years type of stuff. But um, looking back, if you were to go back seven years ago and you go, if I had one book or one TED talk or one piece of content that you've consumed oh. since then that you went, I wish I had seen that then. <laughs> is there is there one that you have? Uh, so I love it. I am I am right now taking a course, an online course from Yale University, and it is called the Science of Happiness. Ooh. And I tell you, this should have like this should have been transmitted to me way, way, you know, a long time ago. <laughs> so my sister told me to take this course. She okay. took it and she was like blown away. Um, we live in an era where, you know, you just you want more things, more things, more things, more things, more things. And the more things it is enough, have, enough, right? Enough, yes. And so for me, I spent the good majority of my life thinking, oh, I'm so excited <clears throat> for the day that I'll be able to have this. And I'm really looking forward to being able to afford this. And it, it's like this. It, I, I don't see it as, as a negative because it's really, you know, lit a fire under our bums to mm. get what we, you know, what we, what we want. But I do sincerely believe that, I mean, money isn't happiness. So mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you buy the newest Mercedes and after a while, scientifically, you're going to get sick of that Mercedes and you're going to want something else, right? If you have a mansion, same thing. Yeah. And the science of happiness is taught by a, a psychologist um, and she, you know, the studies are just so inspiring is that the a person becomes too familiar or too used to it. So their brain is just like, eh, you know, I have all this stuff, but I'm not happier. Why? Why? You know, it should be like living the dream. And for me, I mean, I've never had all this stuff, but I've definitely wanted all this stuff. And this is put in perspective that the, the science is that you should be spending your money on experiences 
on those type of long lasting uh, memory things, right? So mm. Julian and I having traveled so much and I, I understand that concept, right? We, we have spent yeah. loads and loads of money on traveling and, and it's brought us, you know, happiness and experiences much more valuable than anything else can bring. So I guess in the beginning, when you're just trying to get to that, you know, financial benchmark, you should also have that knowledge that, you know, instead of aspiring to the latest thing, you should just inspire to the latest, like, what's the next, you know, adventure I can go on with myself or my family that'll bring me more wholesome experiences in my personal and professional life, you know? So um, it's really kind of done a 180 in my brain with this, this course. Have you changed anything in your business as a result of that or your life? What have you changed? Well, um, I think that for our projects for the future, we really want to get involved with the uh, our cocoa suppliers and um, again. the the cocoa suppliers. So the, okay, the, yeah, yeah. Um, the the agricultural side, and I think we want to learn much more about it. And so actually traveling to those areas and meeting the farmers, meeting, um, you know, looking at the, the, the processes of where our chocolate comes from, that's, that's something that I'm very out of touch with. I mean, it's not something I've done yet. Yeah. So those are uh, real aspects that I want to be able to go out and experience and bring back with us and educate our customers on it, have some videos about our experience is showing in store and really you know, going from in, in, in our customers' minds, going from where it comes from and how it ended up here and in their hands, right? So um, I love that. So it's, it's adding to the story because uh, yeah. your story is already fascinating, but now you're like, what's the backstory <laughs> <laughs> on my stuff? And, and yeah. how do I bring that story to my customers? Because then, then now you've changed the chocolate into an experience. That's right. And it's, it would be full circle for us because our, our, our North Star is already, we make life's moments sweeter. So that's what mm. we base all of our decisions on in store. It's what we base our training on with staff. It's it's not about the chocolate per se. It's about what the feeling is when people get it. Because this is just from feedback from our customers, right? It's like, I can't spend Christmas at home without there being a, Russo, a box of Russo chocolates on the table or else it wouldn't be Christmas. So those kind of um anecdotes that I hear year after year after year really just you know it it just feeds into that right the the that we're here to create moments and in in special moments in people's lives you know through chocolate (laughs) yeah it's just one tool to be able to do that well I I actually love that um uh I I want to you brought up an interesting point have you had any issues with supply chain management yes our supply is gone is decreased immensely uh prices for chocolate have soared to like unspeakable heights Hmm. Um, we've had to deal with all of that in the last year plus no customers so how do you you know how do you manage that um it's you know as a as a chocolatier chocolate always increases every every year sometimes every six months and in the past years, we've only increased our prices like twice uh, yeah. in seven years. So you really can't, um, you really have to, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a learning game of how to balance um, your price and your, you know, with a constant changing 
uh, supplier price, right? So yeah, it's not easy, but I think that um, uh, there are a number of things that we have done to basically kind of uh, absorb that. So yeah. yeah, like, you know, just the, I mean, there's a lot of government programs out there to help with um, with companies that can still, you know, for staffing and all of that. So, I, I mean, if anyone, you know, business owner or whatever that's listening should really look into those if you haven't already, because it, it allows you to, to have some sort of a help if you can qualify yeah. and, you know, make, you know, better decisions and absorb all the costs. Like there are, it's not just chocolate that's soaring, right? Like, let's be real. Everything else is skyrocketing so um yeah so there's there has to be creative ways to deal with that yeah I think that's the biggest challenge I think um I I wasn't aware of how bad it was in chocolate because I'm my mind just went to lumber but um (laughs) (laughs) so you had to take a a hard look at every step in your process to see could you pull cost out is what I'm hearing Essentially, yes, um, we have made some decisions on, uh, let's say, having less inventory, mm-hmm. uh, less variety of products, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so that really helps to kind of keep costs down. Okay. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah. And, and also you think, well, this isn't forever, right? This, you know, as soon as it's going to get back, I think I'm hoping that things will yeah. Settle down from a supply chain management perspective. Yeah. yeah. Well, that is so cool. Uh, mm-hmm. I know Kelsey has a question, so I'm going to bring him in now for his question. Here we go. Go, Kelsey, go. Hello, once again. Oh. Uh, very insightful, like, and very uh, real. So good for you. It's like, don't hold punches because I think a lot of people are worried about all too many feelings. Like, you have to be conscious and be nice but it's also you have to call a spade a spade so uh, mm-hmm. I think if people really listen that's great mm-hmm. a, a point of order if you wish you talk about the success of happiness or science of happiness which I've looked at that course as well and it looks uh, phenomenal yet you say um, you sacrifice things but is that could that not be a delayed gratification? It's just the, the the language when people say, hey, I have to work all these hours and whatnot. And that's where I'm just wondering is, do you have a new context with that, with the science uh, of happiness? Was she positioning her work-life balance differently? Is that your question, Kelsey? Yeah, sorry, I guess it wasn't, like, yeah, it's, use the word of sacrifice, if people have to sacrifice things, and it's more hours here and there, if, um, especially when COVID hit, you have to sacrifice less family time but it's not delayed gratification because you're doing mm-hmm. it for the better good. For me, it's just, it's the, the framing of, of the word. And then with the science of happiness course, does it reframe it as a sacrifice to a delayed gratification mm-hmm. or is there another word or is it a sacrifice? Mm, that's a good question, Kelsey. I would see it like <clears throat> the sacrifices that me and other business owners have gone through in the last year um, they are necessary sacrifices. I don't think that if anyone doesn't want to make sacrifices, then, you know, I don't know how they would survive otherwise. So those are just necessary things that, you know, a world pandemic might throw at you, right? But uh, <laughs> uh, the science of happiness is really an eye-opener in terms of what what are you working towards, right? Like, all these sacrifices that we've had to do myself and Julian for, you know, for our business and our family over the past year, 
there's, there's a, you kind of, it teaches you to look past that. So how about we look, you know, we fast forward in a year, two years, seven years, eight years, and see what, what those sacrifices might bring to us. So mm. by doing what we did, we ensured the, 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 the continuation of our business. So we didn't just close. Um, we're not just another statistic that closed our doors in 2020, but we persevered, I guess, and continued to do everything and anything that was necessary to allow our business to continue. And thankfully, uh, that com combined with our amazing, you know, and loyal customers, we were able to like kind of ride that wave out and we're not in the clear, but it's, there's definitely with, you know, everything going on, it feels like there's more of an end in sight than there was, you know, 12 months ago. And the science of happiness to, to attach that when I'm listening to the course in, you know, in present days, I automatically think back, well, okay, you know, that, that type of, of experience happened. Um, we, it, it will bring us the fact that our business is still alive today. It has brought us that. And, you know, and by that fact, you know, hopefully we have a continued success for years to come. And the science of happiness, I guess, is also can be perceived as our business is our baby, right? It was our yeah. first and we had, you know, we had this business when I turned 30 and uh, to see it continue is, is gratification itself, right? Uh, Every absolutely. minute in business is an experience, that is for sure. Yeah. Thank you. That, that was great. Yeah. What I haven't asked you, Natalie, that you think is an important lesson you've learned that um, would help others? Oh, um... Well, I talked about, and I do, and I talk about this a lot is the, you know, um, the image of a, of a ladder. If you race up a ladder, you might fall down. Right. So, mm -hmm. uh, Julian and I have always taken it one step at a time, very cautiously. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean that we didn't take risks because you have to, I think the business, you have to yeah. take risks. Um, moving to this new location, uh, with a six month old in tow, and all this money, you know, all this debt, my family thought we were absolutely bad, you know, <laughs> they just could not understand where we yeah. came from, but it was a move that we felt in our hearts and, you know, on paper would work. So, mm -hmm. um, but that again, it, it wasn't, we didn't bite off, um, uh, more than we could chew, I guess. And no pun intended, uh, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> But I do, I do really just fundamentally believe like small business owners for sure, just, you know, just do what you can. Don't, don't try to do too much too fast. Um, and, you know, because you're only one person or you're only yeah. two people and you can't, you really, if you're starting out, um, absolutely just take it slow. And even when you're not starting out, like today, right? It's, it's my business. I kind of see it as we've done the infancy stage. We've done the toddler stage. I'm somewhere in like between middle school and high school, I would say, you know, almost and ready to give up daycare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that we're, we're still, and it's fun because I love to learn and I'm still learning lots but we still apply that rule, I guess, in our everyday life is just don't take on too much, you know, too much at once and build it up gradually. And, uh, you know, and, but 
you know, in the business world, still take risks because it's important. That's, that's what gets you ahead, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I love that. Um, I think that there is a lot of, of sexiness put on fast tracking your growth and, you know, the hockey stick. So I think that that is uh, a refreshing outlook in the sense of, of, you know, deliberately planting, deliberately making decisions. And it's not that you're not taking risks, but you're aware of them. You're uh, thinking that the uh, it's worth it at the other end. And so you're taking those calculated risks as opposed to just taking risk. Absolutely. Sure. And, and the other, the other portion is, you know, growing fast isn't bad, but you also need to know when to reach out for, you know, help with optimization mm. and scaling and all of that. Cause you know, those are skills as well that we are, we're not all born with, right. Sometimes we need to leave it to the professionals to help us. So that's something we did in 2018 is we had uh, a consultant come in and help us with, you know, how to optimize everything and, and for growth. Yeah. But I mean, you know, growing is not bad. I think it's, uh, and it depends on the industry you're in, but yep. you know, someone like me in my industry, cause I can speak for myself. It really, it really helped us kind of, you know, be on the right track for success long-term. I think also yeah. a point that I want to make with this is that everything nowadays, and you'll probably agree with me is right now, everything has to be done immediately. Yeah. And I think it's, it is refreshing, as you said, to just be able to say, you know what? don't do everything immediately. Just take your time one step at a time. Everything will happen. Like, I feel like, you know, it's also the way I teach my kids. Like, don't get frustrated because you can't do the puzzle right this second. It takes time to figure it out. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of the same <laughs> for adults. <laughs> oh my gosh. Natalie, thank you so much for your time today. Thank and you. I believe the real bottom line is be a deliberate ladder climber in your business. <laughs> right. <laughs> thank you, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.